Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the box office mojo top 100 grossing films of all time in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What? Like I mentioned before, today we will finally pass the $1 billion mark uh, very early on in this this sequence of 10 films. Uh, we left off last time with number 31, Despicable Me 2. And there is still a film that is currently in theaters. It is climbing the ranks uh, every day and uh, completely... Um, I don't know what the word I was looking for was. Um, uh, to be completely upfront, I guess, about it, uh, it is a film that is currently ranked number 22. However, it is still in theaters. It is still making, you know, multiple millions of dollars a day uh, in domestically. So I am pushing it aside, pushing it up the rankings automatically. Um, and so it will not be on this sequence. I know it is. It, there's no way it doesn't make it to the top 20. And then from that point on, I guess I'll kind of eyeball it. Uh, my initial plan was to wait and do the 30 to 21 segment after this movie had uh, surpassed that, that section. But I'm not going to do that because I, I can see the projections regardless so I, I i know where we're headed but that being said let's jump in to number 30 this is a film uh the seventh film in this franchise or it's technically the ninth eighth eighth film in this franchise and there's one left to go that are all in the top 100 this film earned 974.8 million dollars, 317 of that domestically. It came out in 2001. Pretty old uh, relative to this list. One of the older films. And uh, this is a film that is directed by Chris Columbus, starring Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, and plenty of other people. And that's Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, uh, Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone, however you want to look at it, and depending on where you're from. Uh, yeah, so this is the seventh Harry Potter film, eighth uh, Harry Potter world film on the top 100, and like I mentioned, there's still one more to go. Uh, this franchise is kind of unsurpassable almost you know the only like quote-unquote franchise that can that can top it is really marvel as a whole like all of marvel and i'm i'm sure i've looked up the numbers before i think marvel has made more money currently than all of the harry potter films put together but even still like there's still Harry Potter films coming out. So who, who's to say what will really end up winning the day, as it were? Um, yeah, so this is the very first Harry Potter movie the, based on the very first book. And in my opinion, is the fifth best uh, movie from Harry Potter. Uh, whether, whether or not you include... Fantastic Beasts. I still think it's number five. I would put it on par with Chamber of Secrets. I think both the first and second book movies directed by Chris Columbus are great. I think for what they are, they are perfect introductions to this magical world. They do a fantastic job in casting, at least as far as what the characters look like, even if most of them, at least the younger, the kid actors, haven't truly... Uh, matured and, and become strong actors in their own rights. But, you know, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, Daniel Radcliffe, they all look exactly like the characters they're supposed to look like at, at this point. And, and 
And then by the time that they sort of start to, particularly uh, Emma Watson sort of starts to to become a, she I think ultimately ends up being the least similar looking to the character she's playing by the end of it. But because she was so close, so very close in the beginning, and we've grown up with her as as, as Hermione, uh, it doesn't matter. You know, we we've she just is Hermione. You know, and she forever will be. Uh, this is also one of the two movies that has Richard Harris as Dumbledore. Um, and this is, I mean, this is the movie that introduced us to this world. Maggie Smith, Alan Rickman, Robbie Coltrane, Richard Griffiths, Ian Hart, Fiona Shaw, John Hurt, David Bradley, Matthew Lewis, Warwick Davis, James and Oliver Phelps, John Cleese is in this. You know, he didn't get enough time in these movies, I don't think. So we want to make her... Uh, Julie Walters, Bonnie Wright, you know, all of these characters, all of these actors that that really breathe life into this world started here. Uh, I remember going to see the movie at the theater with my grandparents and that early scene where Dumbledore walks down the street and he pulls out, um, I guess, I guess you would call it a lighter, but I, I think it has a different name in the in the an illuminator, I think, in the books and in the movies that Ron ultimately receives uh, in the seventh book. And he, you know, he pulls it out and he slowly sucks the light out of all of the street lamps. And I can remember my granddad sort of like leaning over to me and like exclaiming like how exciting that was, you know, like he's, he was, I don't know, like 60 or so at that time. And that was like amazing, you know, like the, the magic, the effects, the, the, you know, we'd never really seen anything on this level before, anything this extravagant and fantastic. Uh, sure, we'd had magical films before this and, and fantasy films before this, but uh, there's just something about Harry Potter that that sets it apart from the rest of the rest of its genre, the rest of its club, as it were. And so, you know, for me, like, this is a film that I uh, give uh, an 81, 81, and I think it's, it's, you know, you've got sort of the perfect level of, uh, of introduction, I think. Um, you know, in the, in the book, I think, I remember rereading the book in college, uh, for one of my classes in college, but it's been a while. I think the book takes a long time, uh, to get to Hogwarts and so does the movie, you know, you're not rushed there. Like this is a two and a half hour movie and it's a kid's movie. And the fact that like, despite all of those things, which, you know, it seems like that would be a huge hurdle for kids. Like, kids are looking at 90, 100-minute-long movies max. And this is 152 minutes. Like, this is a full hour longer than how long kids want to be sitting still for. And yet, it made almost a billion dollars worldwide. Sure, you had most, you know, sure, you had a lot of people going to see this movie that had read the books as kids. You know, people who were in their teens now. Uh, I'm sure that was a large percentage of it, but, like, this is still a kid's movie. Like, this is, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds uh, are going to see this movie because at the time, you know, like, I think the fourth book had just come out, the fourth Harry Potter book. And so, you know, even kids that young were still, like, getting into this series because it wasn't finished. Like, this was an ongoing thing, ongoing process. And uh, it paved the way for uh, YA books, YA novels being turned into movies uh, for better or for or for worse, depending on on how you want to look at that. But before this, like I I'm sure there were other kids books turned into movies, but not at all to none of them ended up with the same amount of pedigree, the same amount of representation, the same amount of uh, impact and and social cultural uh, uh, fortitude that 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 Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone did, and, and the subsequent movies that came after it. So 
Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, number 30. Fantastic. Great movie. Just a great movie. And here we go, breaking into the billion point. We have number 29 with 1 billion, 4 million, 1,004.6 million dollars or 1.0046 billion dollars released in 2008 and re-released at later points in it, in its lifetime. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan is The Dark Knight. Starring Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, Aaron Eckhart, and Gary Oldman, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Morgan Freeman, and others. This is the seminal comic book film of our time with, in my opinion, one of the best performances by anyone in 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 my lifetime, at least, if not longer. Uh, you know, I would... I know a lot of people detract on this movie quite often in, in, in hindsight, uh, you know, like to poke the holes at it, but I think that Heath Ledger's performance is just insurmountable. It, it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, so this is the second movie uh, in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. The first was Batman Begins, which came out in 05. And then you had The Dark Knight here in 2008. And it just blew the doors off. It, you know, it you know, it had a, this whole controversy of like, well, how could Keith Ledger possibly play the Joker? He's no Jack Nicholson. He's no this, that, or the other. He's no Mark Hamill. And Heath Ledger, uh, and then all of a sudden, news came out. Heath Ledger died. And... All of a sudden, the mood changed. Uh, you know, I admit, you know, when I was at that time, I, I wasn't really, you know, I didn't know anything about well, Heath Ledger can't play Joker. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I, I found about his death, but I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't really know him that well. I hadn't seen a lot of his movies at that point, uh, and so I wasn't really. I, I just knew that I liked Batman Begins, and then I like heard about The Dark Knight. I went to see it at midnight on opening weekend. When I was at the beach with some family, there were plenty of people there dressed up as Batman, dressed up as the Joker, and we sat down. We they had two completely packed, sold-out theaters to watch this movie, and I just remember from that opening sequence, I was completely blown away. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I was 16 years old, and by the time about a week had passed since I first saw the movie and I was already like quoting it I was I had memorized both of the jokers uh, sort of sort of uh, soliloquies about where he got his scars I knew most of the lines that he said throughout the entire film uh, I've long since lost most of those things I still remember the, the soliloquies the monologues that he says I remember most of the exchange between the Joker and, and the Batman toward the end of the film. Uh, I, you know, I remember a lot of the lines. From, I've seen this movie so, so, so many times. Uh, approximately, um, approximately 85 times. I got the DVD for like Christmas that year. I rewatched, I watched it on repeat day in, day out for forever. I've, you know, the last time I watched it was in July of 2012 when I was re-watching it for, for The Dark Knight Rises, and I haven't really watched it since then. Not that I'm not drawn to it. I think I've just put so much of a priority on watching new films uh, at this point. But it just... I don't know. I, like, this is one of the films out of the, like, six that I've ever seen that I've given a 100, and... It still has a 100. It's never dropped from that rating for me. It's always going to be on like a best of list uh, for me for all time. It's my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. It's my favorite movie from everybody who's in it. And I, I credit this film uh, with, with really opening my eyes to, to 
quality cinema. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd seen plenty of like great good movies before this movie. To be fair, like I'm not saying that this was the first good movie I'd ever seen. Not, it, far from it. I'd seen plenty of good movies prior to The Dark Knight. But this movie just kind of knocked me off my perch. It, it really brought about a completely new way of thinking and, and uh, show, you know, d- d- revealed to me that there's more, you know, movies don't have to be, they can combine this sort of, it's this enjoyment factor, this, 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 um, you know, like I'm thinking about Adam Sandler movies, like whether or not you like Adam Sandler, whether or not you like his movies, you know, if someone does like his movies, they don't like them for their artistic qualities. You don't like Adam Sandler films because they're high quality Oscar bait, award-winning movies that's not why you watch them you know they're fun they they're they're slapsticky they have potty humor so you know you're younger you're not used to that in movies and you enjoy them for that reason and for me the dark knight was really the first time that it combined my level of enjoyment for movies on that sort of level so just like this is a fun, exciting movie. Things are just happening that I can't even comprehend, and it looks awesome, and it's so cool. On top of an incompl- a completely other side of things where it's like, holy shit, like this is beautifully constructed. It is, inc- it is well-written. It is paced out perfectly. It, it has these incredible performances. It has this, that, and the other thing. It has all of these fantastic things combining into one piece of 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 at the for me life-changing media and i think that's uh pretty pretty amazing for me it, it was incredible uh so the dark knight number 29 first of one of the 20 current 29 films ever released that have made over a billion dollars uh number 28 Released in 2012, uh, this is this film made one billion twenty one million one hundred thousand dollars, three hundred three of that domestically. I guess it should be noted that The Dark Knight made five hundred thirty four million dollars domestically, more than half of its total gross, which is like the first film to have an a higher than fifty percent higher than fifty percent domestic take since number sixty three, which is E. T. the Extraterrestrial. Um, it is very rare. Uh, looking at other ones, you had Star Wars, which had 59% domestic. The Hunger Games had 58%. Those are the only ones. We have four films uh, through this point that have made better than 50% domestic. And uh, it just, like, looking at the percentages, that's all there is. Like, no, only four of these films. Uh, five, technically. Okay, so if there's one more film that has made better than 50% of its take domestically and that's tough to do uh at this point you know especially as you know films coming out are are starting to be marketed more heavily internationally starting to include a, a more international cast things like that so anyway number 28 though just a tw- so like i said 100 1 billion 21 million 100,000 dollars total 303 that domestically that's 29.7 percent came out in 2012 directed by peter jackson the first of film in this trilogy the hobbit and unexpected journey the long-awaited first film of the hobbit series starring ian mckellen martin freeman richard armitage andy circus kate blanchett christopher lee among others was met with a ton of money and it it was pretty good uh it it seemed when we first opened onto the first hobbit film maybe these film these movies were worth splitting into three parts that was the impression i got uh it wasn't nearly as good as any of the lord of the rings movies but it had the potential at that at this point uh potential that i think was only improved by the desolation of smaug and then squandered by battle of the five armies um an unexpected journey is uh 
a movie that just kind of, you know, I gave it a 76. It got a pretty mixed review. It got pretty mixed reviews from a lot of critics, though. It has a, had a 69 on Rotten Tomatoes the last time I checked. And I think it's because it's kind of slow. And it's been, it had been nine years since Return of the King came out. Film had changed in that time, you know. Very few slow movies were blockbusters anymore. You know, the slower movies were all of a sudden just the award movies. You know, you you know things like There Will Be Blood. That's not a blockbuster. No one's shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars to go see There Will Be Blood. But critics will love There Will Be Blood, and you'll see Daniel Day Lewis get an Oscar for it, and and this, that, and the other thing. And so. It was tough for a lot of people, like, watching this movie. Like, very little happens. And you've got every single thing in the book up through this segment of the book is in this movie. Plus everything in, like, the appendixes and the Cimmerillion and all all these other things that uh, Tolkien uh, wrote uh, with an addendum toward The Hobbit and toward the Lord of the Rings series. So there's there's a lot of material here but it's not like action material. You know, these are primarily adventure movies. They're not really action movies so much. And so for that exact reason, you've got this almost 3-hour movie where very little happens. Uh you know, the second movie had all the action, had smoke, had had the excitement of it but the first movie mm, very fell very flat on the action and there wasn't quite enough camaraderie intrigue and and well-paced adventure that as there was with fellowship which i think does a much better job of feeling like a cohesive uh film than unexpected journey does yeah, so that's The Hobbit. Um, my second favorite film in the Hobbit series, uh, as I mentioned already. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it is the highest grossing of the Hobbit films. You know, we already talked about Smog, Desolation of Smog, Battle of the Five Armies. They were in the last segment. Um, but we do still have one Lord of the Rings movie to come. Um, and uh, we'll get there when we get there. So that's number 28, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. But now let's finally, after a very long time, jump into a film that is not currently part of a franchise. And I personally hope it never is. This is a film, one of my absolutely favorite films from 2016. It made my it was a nominee for Best Picture for me for last year on the Circle of Film Awards. And it won an Oscar last year for Best Animated Feature, directed by Byron Howard, Richard Richmore, and Jared Bush. That is Zootopia, starring the voice talents of Jennifer Goodwin, Jason Bateman, Idris Elba, Octavia Spencer, J.K. Simmons, Alan Tudyk, Jenny Slate, Bonnie Hunt, and others. Um, This is the story of a young rabbit determined to prove herself to become the first bunny on Zootopia's police force. Ends up in a buddy cop situation with a scam artist fox, Jason Bateman. And uh, things sort of uh, evolve from there. This film met rave reviews. It's the first movie I ever remember seeing a commercial for where they referenced its Rotten Tomato score, which I believe ultimately ended up at uh, 99 or so. Uh, it was my third favorite film from last year and my favorite animated film. So I was very happy it won Best Animated Feature. And it is a great, 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 amazing film for kids especially. It's, it's a film that opens up the dialogue on discrimination and prejudice and racism and uh, just the inequality between 
genders and skin colors and sexuality and just every possible thing, every, like economic class systems and uh, uh, nationalities, you know, the difference between living in this place or that place uh, with these people or those people in that type of building or this type of building. It it's just like I think a lot of people try to ascribe to it simply race relations and I think that's far from uh, the only social commentary that this film is trying to make it's it's not a one-for-one -one relationship with white people and black people or cops and black people or or uh, straight people and gay people or rich people and poor people it, it's it's all of those things kind of at any point in time and so you can't just say that it's going to be you know i've seen i've seen criticism of the film for you know how the metaphor is actually like terrible you know when you when you try to fit this film into a one-for-one -one relationship with with racism it, it doesn't really work it doesn't pan out that same way but when you just step back and you don't try to force it into any particular hole because it's not shaped like any of the holes you're trying to fit the peg into. It's just trying to open a discussion about the problems and and fears and mistakes that come from people refusing to respect each other and, and taking far too many things at face value. Uh, you, you look at a situation and this movie presents a lot, a lot, a lot of different situations where more often than not, the outcome is very negative, uh, particularly in real life. And even though the outcome isn't necessarily positive in the movie, you know, you you see both of these main characters, um, Judy Hopps and Nick Wilde, they've both bullied as kids. They both face a lot of uh, prejudice even after that, um, you know, even from each other. And despite all of that, it's, it's, the film is not, uh, it, the film manages to respect their growth. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, the film isn't there to beat down every single person who's ever thought something mean about somebody else. The film is here to build up the path to uh, to improvement, you know, the path toward learning from each other and growing with each other and be, and learning to understand that, you know, just because you're a predator doesn't mean you can't have friends that are prey, you know, just because... Uh, no other bunny has been a cop doesn't mean this bunny can't be a cop just you know it, it, there's there's and you know just because the villain it, it, you know just because you know like I, not to like I don't want to get into any spoilers or anything but it's a film that touched on so many different issues and did it in such a careful and clever way that it was not only vastly enjoyable to someone who has lived through a lot of these types of experiences and seen things, stories about similar things on the news. You know, you've seen cops beating unarmed black men. You've seen, uh, you know, you've seen people bullied until they commit suicide in school. You see prejudice and racism and, and all of that sort of thing day in and day out. And this film touches on those things. But at the same time, you know, you can be a kid who doesn't really have most of those experiences, doesn't really, can't really understand the sort of uh, uh, dichotomy between uh, various quote-unquote types of people. And this film brings that topic up and it introduces them to that issue of like, well, it doesn't matter. It, it ultimately says, like, look, you know, there are differences, and it's silly to try to ignore them. You know, it's dumb to try to approach the world as if there isn't a difference between me and someone with, like, a different genitalia, a different skin color. Like, fundamentally, we're both people. We're both human beings. But, like, it's not like we both... You can't just push aside all the sort of identifying qualities of a person. 
you know, you, 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 you know, it, it, this movie makes it possible to address those issues in a respectful and, and comfortable way without bringing up the bad sides of them. And I think that that is incredibly admirable. I, I'm very, I was very moved by this movie. Uh, I gave it a 96, so you know, really, really high. And I, I, I think it's it's a very, very special movie. Very happy with it. So Zootopia, number 27. Number 26, uh, released in 2010, this film made one billion twenty-five million five hundred thousand dollars three hundred thirty-four of that domestically, about thirty-two and a half percent. This is a film directed by Tim Burton, and that is Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Alice in Wonderland received, I want to say, decent reviews on from critics when it came out. Um, yeah, it got relatively decent mixed reviews. I think it has about a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. I am a huge fan of Tim Burton, so I naturally liked it quite a bit more than the average person. I gave it a 74, so fairly high. Starring Mia Wasikowska, Johnny Depp, Anne Hathaway, Helena Bonham Carter, Crispin Glover, Martin Sokas, Lindsay Duncan, and others... Uh, This is essentially the Disney retelling of Alice in Wonderland, an animated film that they put out a long time ago. And uh, this one, unlike that one, not a musical. Uh, And yeah, it's gotten trashed. It has only gone down in the public eye since it came out. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's a great movie. Uh, I think it falls a little short of that. I wouldn't put it as the top five movies of Tim Burton, maybe even top ten. And, I, you know, it's not really a top movie for any of its performers either. There's better Mia Wasikowska movies, much better Johnny Depp, Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway, Helena Bonham Carter movies. You know, it's, it's, it's not the best you know, I don't think anyone really thinks that it's the best. But for my money, uh, I think it is far, far better than it really had any need being. Uh, it, it, you know, as much as people complain about seeing Johnny Depp just donning different makeup and putting on a new hat and silly wigs in every movie he's been in in the last 15 years since he started, since Parts of the Caribbean came out, you know, this isn't Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow. This isn't Willy Wonka. This, you know, this isn't uh, The Lone Ranger. This is Alice in Wonderland. And it's not as if he doesn't give a different performance for each of these characters. He's He's good at it he he's able to embody these roles and you know the effects are good the movie looks nice the the performances are solid the characters are interesting and it's a solid adaptation of alice in wonderland Uh, it is far 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 superior to its uh much beleaguered sequel that came out last year alice through the looking glass uh, but it's just a, you know, it's a cute movie. I, I expect that if I did rewatch it, my rating would drop just a little bit. I, I might end up putting it in the 60s range instead of the 70s. Um, and I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll probably rewatch it for that reason alone. But it's still a movie that I enjoyed. I liked it. I think it's fun. And uh, it doesn't have to really be much more than that. And uh, so... I was uh, very pleased, very pleased with this movie, much to the chagrin of everyone else. So that's Alice in Wonderland, number 26. Number 25, uh, a movie that gets even more hate than Alice in Wonderland. This is a 1999 film that has had re-releases since then, earning $1,027,000,000 
476 four of that domestically directed by george lucas it is star wars episode one the phantom menace uh, so this is the highest grossing prequel film from Star Wars and uh, the uh, second highest grossing, thir- third highest grossing Star Wars film uh, of all time at this moment. Uh, yeah, starring Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Jake Lloyd, and plenty of others. This is the movie that brought us back into the Star Wars universe uh, about 20, about 15, 16 years later. Uh, I think it was, uh, what, 83? Because the uh, New Hope was 77. I think it was 83 that episode eight, 6 came out. Um, so everyone was excited. That's why it made so much money. It's been re-released. People went back and saw it again. Made more money. And now everyone hates it because it introduced midichlorians and it introduced Jar Jar Binks. Uh, and about the only thing people like about this movie is Liam Neeson and uh, the Darth Maul lightsaber fight. And I think it's a little better than that. Uh, again, I think it's a bad movie. Uh, I gave it a 40... I gave it a 41. It got mixed reviews from critics. It was a 57 on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and I rewatched it prior to. Uh, I rewatched it as part of the six films that I rewatched of the Star Wars franchise prior to The Force Awakens coming out, coming out last two years ago. And before rewatching it, I had given this like a high 50 score and I, I dropped it pretty considerably because it is a lot worse than than we give it credit for it does have a lot of issues it is very slow and jake lloyd is is in my opinion far worse as an anakin than uh his his replacement would be whose name escapes me at the moment but i'm going to figure it out really quickly and it's hayden christensen didn't need to look it up yeah, so pretty bad movie and doesn't really stand the test of time. But uh, I guess if there's one thing we can all be thankful for, and maybe some of you aren't perfectly aware of this impact that The Phantom Menace had, but uh, it did pave the way for a great Weird Al song, uh, The Saga Begins. And I think that's worth it. And I think the memes, totally worth it. <laughs> the, the, the theory crafting behind Jar Jar as uh, a Sith, I love that. I think that's a, incredibly fun. But the movie, not so good. Pretty, pretty bad, in fact. So that's uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Number 25. Number 24. uh, We journey to Pixar land for last year's release, which made $1,028,600,486 of that domestically, about 47%. This is a sequel to a 2004 film that was previously on this list at number 38 so it was just last part uh and uh that film is finding dory directed by andrew stan and angus mclean starring the voice talents of ellen degeneres albert brooks hayden rollins ed o'neill diane keaton eugene levy and others uh where while finding nemo was about dory and marlin trying to find marlin's son nemo as they swam through the ocean and uh, Finding Dory is about Dory uh, trying to find her parents that she can't really remember and has trouble recalling. And that journey takes her to a marine life uh, camp, sort of uh, like a Sea World type place. And Finding Dory exploded. It made the most money uh, out of 
last year's summer films and is only really succeeded by two films from last year that we haven't talked about yet on the on the whole as a, as a uh only it's succeeded by one film domestically but two films uh globally that were also released last year and for my money it is a significant disappointment compared to finding nemo uh, i think finding nemo is a beautiful adventure film uh as I mentioned when we talked about it last part, you know, this is a film that is a film that like I spent hours and hours and hours watching making of documentaries and behind the scenes looks and how they allotted the the funds for their for their visual effects and and when they needed to make the water look perfect and when they could, you know, do this, that, and the other thing, and and, and the storyboards, and I just I got so deep into that movie because it is an experience, it is a journey, it is a pure adventure film with characters that like I can still name almost all the characters from Finding Nemo. I haven't seen it in a long time. I couldn't tell you the names of any of the characters in Finding Dory that weren't in Finding Nemo. I know that there was an octopus and a, and a couple of whales, but I don't know any of their names. None of them stuck out to me. They aren't very memorable. I think the side characters are very insignificant. And as cute as it is to kind of tie into some of the mysteries of Finding Nemo, like Dory speaking whale and making that sort of an actual thing, I think that the idea that she thinks she can speak whale is far more interesting when we don't have any idea that she actually can speak whale or why she thinks she can speak whale. Because whales don't speak differently than fish, as we find out in Finding Dory. Uh, you know, and, and the other thing is like this movie takes place far less in the ocean. It's in an enclosed space. There's scenes in a truck that, you know, you know, it was interesting, like the, the, uh, the contrast between the wide open ocean and the dentist office in Finding Nemo was beautifully played against itself. Whereas the, the scenes like in the truck and the scenes in the sea life, place they're not played up against the ocean at all they're not you know it's not these people are close these fish are closed off from everything and these fish aren't no it's just these are the fish that are closed off there's no attempt to comment on that really so i was considerably let down by this movie i didn't i was very apprehensive about it going in i did not think it would be a film that i would love anywhere near as much as i loved finding nemo but all that being said, I've said a lot of bad things about this movie, a lot of detracting things, a lot of negative things. It's still good. Like, all of those things aside, that just makes it far worse than Finding Nemo. By comparison with a lot of movies, it is a pretty good movie. Um, you know, I gave it three and a half stars or a 74, so I put it on par with... Uh, Alice in Wonderland right now. It has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. But that makes it pretty worse than than Finding Dory, so or Finding Nemo. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, Finding Dory, a letdown, but still a good movie. Number twenty-four on the top one hundred. Number twenty-three. Uh, we go back to the nineties for this one night. Well, I guess we were just in the nineties for Star Wars Episode One, but that kind of doesn't count. It was like the end of the nineties. 1993, and this is a film that's been released later on, uh, making $1,029,200,000, directed by Steven Spielberg. This is another one of my absolute favorite films, and that's Jurassic Park, starring Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Richard Attenborough, Bob Peck, Martin Ferrero, B.D. Wong, Joseph Mazzello, Ariana Richards, Samuel L. Jackson, Wayne Knight, and others. Uh, this is, I mean, this is one of the most influential films of all time. This is like every kid's favorite movie that was at all interested in dinosaurs. Uh, and this is a film that I think everyone can can watch and enjoy in some degree. Uh, you know, looking on Letterboxd, this is a 4.1 average rating overall. Uh, and 
out of 108,000 ratings, it has a hun- only 140 of those are half a star. And if you look at like the bar graph, like below two and a half stars, you can't even tell that anyone rated it less than that. Uh, so this is a film very well liked, in my opinion, Spielberg's best film. And it just has the excitement. It has the the emotion and joy and f- fantasy element that really exceeds expectations in in every possible way. And you know the visual effects in this movie are astonishing you know especially for the time and they still hold up now when you compare them to the something like Jurassic World which came out in 2015 and uh, you know did huge numbers as well you you look at that and like yeah it has pretty good special effects but they're 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 fake they they have an element of fakeness to them whereas you go back to Jurassic Park and it's so real and it feels so terrifying when you you're watching the kids in uh you know scrambling to stay out of the view of the t-rex or or trying to avoid the velociraptors or all of these different like really uh, you know blood pumping uh, heart palpitating scenes it's 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 tough man like this movie is is real thrilling and you know, you get an incredible performance from Sam Neill and Laura Dern. Jeff Goldblum steals every scene that he's in. Uh, you've got the deluded scientist, Richard Attenborough. You've got the blood and the mosquitoes and the amber, which seems, even now, seems like, like logically, seems like it could make sense in a way. Like, if, if cloning and, and replicating DNA was a thing... And to the extent that they are doing it in this movie, then, like, it feels like we could have dinosaurs, you know? It doesn't feel like we're absolutely removed from this possibility. Uh, you've got Samuel Jackson, hold on to your butts, in, like, this small role uh, that that was kind of perfect for him. Wayne Knight as the skeevy jerk-faced guy who kind of ruins everything Uh, you know this is just just a really good movie that has an incredible amount of you know iconic scenes and it's a film that revolutionized the way people look at the blockbuster again after Spielberg did it with Jaws he reinvented the blockbuster with Jurassic Park Uh, so it's no wonder this movie made over a billion dollars and it's it's fantastic it's just it's fucking amazing it's it's so good jurassic park um really quickly i gave it get to it i gave it a 96 so it's it's one of my favorite films from 93 uh and in fact it's only really exceeded from that year by the nightmare before christmas uh, which i've i've talked about before so that's number 23 jurassic park moving on number 22 uh we kind of lose a little bit of our quality here for this movie as we jump down to a 2011 release Uh, this is a uh, a franchise that we have talked about already and are going to talk about again and that is the 2011 release directed by Rob Marshall, which made $1,045,700,000, of that domestically. So 23% of its gross came in domestically, $800 million internationally. So that's the highest total we've seen to date. This is, I believe if I looked it up, this is one of the highest budgeted films of all time uh it it like cost over like over 200 million dollars to make this movie which is ridiculous because it's pirates of the caribbean on stranger tides the easily the worst pirates of the caribbean film it issues a lot of the main characters you don't have kira knightley you don't have 
uh, Orlando Bloom. It's just Johnny Depp. You introduce Penelope Cruz and Ian McShane, uh, who is Blackbeard, uh, who which I like. Uh, we still have Jeffrey Rush, which I'm happy about. Uh, but this was a huge, huge disappointment for me as a huge fan of the original trilogy, all three of them. Uh, and and On Stranger Tides was a not really anywhere close to the type of film that those were. Uh, this film revolves around the Fountain of Youth. It doesn't have the, you know, this one introduces mermaids, but it it doesn't exactly capture the same spirit, the same tone that the originals had. And I think a big reason for that is because of the absence of Keira Knightley and the absence of Orlando Bloom, who added dimensions to this this franchise that you don't get when it's just Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush. Like as great as they are, their characters, on the other hand, don't exactly give you a lot to work with uh, in, insofar as tone. Like they're both very quippy. Uh, they're both butting heads the whole time. Jeffrey Rush generally is correct. Johnny Depp just kind of lucks his way into things. Those are their biggest traits. And yet, uh, you just there's, it's not light enough. It's not sassy enough, I don't think. You know, you get a lot more sassiness from Karen Knightley's character. You get a lot more sort of innocence and, and do-goodness from Orlando Bloom. And I, I think that that just through everything just throws everything with Penelope Cruz and McShane they don't fit that bill the same way you, you can't pull it off without uh, the main cast from the original films so it's going to be interesting to see uh, if the new pirates of the film coming out in very 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 soon will be able to play uh, well with those ideas it seems pretty good the trailer looks great uh, but trailers can be very deceiving uh, on stranger tides i remember i saw this in the theaters but even that you know it wasn't very exciting i gave it a 49 so just shy of 50 uh, it has a 33 on rotten tomatoes last i checked but like it made so much money and I, I don't I think this was just before we really as as fans really started to speak with our wallets in any capacity um, you know like we just saw Pirates of the Caribbean on the label we saw Johnny Depp and we said take my money and that's not good enough anymore I think that if this new parts movie isn't good, it's not going to do a billion dollars. It might not make 500 if it's not somewhat decent. Uh, so it it remains to be seen if 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 the the lights if if the if the gas tank is empty in this franchise, we will find out soon. So that's number 22, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. And the last film uh, today, number 21, is the last is the fourth film uh, on this top 100 list that has made better than 50% of its box office uh, domestically. Uh, this is a 2016 film that's made $1,055,800,000, 532 of that domestically, about 50.5%. This is... Yet another Star Wars film. This is Rogue One, a Star Wars story directed by Gareth Edwards. Rogue One, a Star Wars story, made a ton of money uh, last Christmas. And I liked it. It's not great. Uh, it's it's For me, I think it was just very flat. The characters are pretty shitty. And, you know, that's fine. I don't expect, you know, you, you've only got one movie with these characters. And so there's no sense of build up. There's no sense like, oh, well, we're going to have more to do with them. And instead of, I think, the writers and, and directors and all those people who worked on it, looking at that idea and saying, well, we better throw a lot more character development at this movie. 
No, they didn't. They introduced different characters, more characters, and the best, most most dimensional character in the movie is a droid, and, and that's pretty bad. Uh, Rogue One, for me, comes in number five. No, actually, it comes in number six on the all-time uh, Star Wars rankings. I put it behind both The Force Awakens and Revenge of the Sith and the original trilogy altogether. I gave it a 70, uh, which is solid. I, I, I started out, I think, a little higher, and then I sort of uh, retconned it down the more I thought about it. There are a lot of interesting elements to this film that never get, aren't just never fully realized. Uh, you know, there's characters that are completely wasted. There are actors that are completely wasted, and all of the and like having seen the, tra I, I didn't watch the trailer. I, I didn't, I wasn't in, like I didn't look into any information about this movie. This is one of the movies I was actually able to accomplish that with, and. Uh, I guess it didn't really matter because like none of the scenes in the trailer are in the movie. So to that effect, it doesn't actually affect anything. And I've heard people saying that this is like the second best Star Wars movie. I think that's insane. I, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, there are some incredible scenes. I think the movie is incredibly ballsy to kill everyone off at the end, even though it almost had to. But... It's just like a plot point. It's one plot point in a larger, far greater story that, you know, yeah, people have been complaining about various like plot holes that that were in A New Hope. I don't really care about that very much. I think, I think you could have easily not needed this movie with like two lines of dialogue explaining, uh, explaining away you know how they were able to destroy the death star the first time uh yeah i just not for me in so much at all as anything i'm not sure what i'm saying rogue one a star wars story number 21 made a ton of money i expect every star wars movie to make a ton of money from here on out and we have one more to talk to in another Part. I think it's yeah. I think the last Star Wars movie is in the top, uh, the top ten. So we will get to that in two more parts, as it turns out. That is the last film in this section. As I mentioned before, uh, there is a you know technically Rogue One is at number twenty right now, but by the time I do the twenty through eleven uh, segment of this. Uh, top 100 list it will be 21 so uh, in just a few short days it will be surpassed by a film that's currently in theaters i've been hiding the name of this film i'm sure if you have any sense of what's playing right now you can easily guess what movie that is but uh just in case you can't i'll keep i'll keep the mystery alive keep keeping the mystery alive uh yeah so that's it uh we will uh, be back next time with the next 10 films on the box office top 100 box office mojo top 100 all-time worldwide grossing films uh, this uh, we started this episode with harry potter and the sorcerer's stone we ended up with rogue one a star wars story we had a lot of fun a lot of great films uh, zootopia for once actually gave us a film that isn't part of a franchise the rest of them are <laughs> And most of them going forward will be, there's only uh, one, two, three films out of the top 20 that are not explicitly, uh, four films out of the top 20 that I would not consider franchise films at this moment. So we will get to them. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, answers, you can direct those to the to circleoffilm at gmail.com. Head over to circleoffilm.com for other episodes of the podcast, the Circle of Film Awards, Scavenger Hunt Superlatives, and more. There will be another episode shortly, tomorrow, probably. Uh, 
And I guess finally, you know, um, I mentioned my hand a few times. It still hurt. I'm still in a splint. I will be for three more weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm working on it, I guess. I, there's not really much I can do until that point. And uh, I'm currently working three days a week right now. So I do have a lot of excess time. So I will be working to get as much content out to everyone as possible. Thank you so much. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, I'll be the same. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.